You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. And Tracy, we are back. It's it's actually it's a cold weekend in Colorado, believe it or not. We we've just gone from nineties to fifties uh, overnight. So welcome to Colorado. Yeah, Chicago's uh, playing the same game right now. We're like mid-60s after a week of 90s, and it's pouring rain. Um, But honestly, I'll take it because we've been in like the armpit of Venus for two weeks now, and I I dislike very much. Do you remember remember Jesse the Body Ventura from the wrestling? I mean, I'm from the Midwest and grew up in the late 80s and early 90s, so yes, I absolutely remember him. Uh, he came through Fresno when I was a kid, and uh, you know they were doing the the wrestling down at the uh, Celand Arena was the name mm. of the place, and he was on the local news, and he said he was so excited to be in Fresno, the armpit of California. <laughs> that's that's how you know the man was a heel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and joining us from Palo Alto, which is kind of on fire. Uh, and not just because you're there, we've got Ava Reed. Hi, Ava. How are you? Hi. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, so, uh, what, so you're having um, a challenging launch week right now for your latest model, your latest book, Juniper and Thorn. Um, so, okay, walk. Let's walk us through like Ava World right now to contextualize what I'm talking about here. Yeah. So it was like in the week up to launch, I was kind of just watching my weather app and watching the temperature kind of rise and rise and rise to the point where I was looking at Tuesday and it was like 102 degrees. And if you live in California, anything over 100 degrees, it's kind of just like, it's it's wildfire time, baby. Um, So I had a really like sinking feeling about it. And I was actually, it was like 3 p.m. And my launch event was at 7 and the power in my building just went out. And oh my god! <laughs> I was like, "All right, I guess this is just happening." And I had to do the launch, and I had like a couple of interviews, so I had to get this hotel room. But I was like going back and forth between my apartment and the hotel room because I have a rabbit, and like they do very badly in the heat, so I had to like come and check on him because I couldn't bring him to the hotel. So that's been my last couple of days, um, but it's all better now. Um, I have to say, if, if an author, though, was doing like a virtual launch event that included, you know, video and all that sort of stuff, and they, they were like, they had a rabbit during it, <laughs> I would buy 100 copies of their book on principle. Like that would just, I would just give them away to people standing outside as I was walking home from whatever at that point. Yeah. He um, is the cutest creature that has ever lived, and I'm totally not biased at all. I, 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 so my cousin has a rabbit, and, uh, it, he inherited it because his his niece had the rabbit and then couldn't take the rabbit. And so he took the rabbit. And now she comes over and visits the rabbit at his house. But I have a question about your rabbit. Uh, is your rabbit wascally? He is extremely wascally. It's really funny. There's okay. like an internet famous rabbit named Oreo who looks like a lot like my bunny. He's also black and white. And I remember watching this little reel of him on Instagram where the owner is talking about Oreo. She's like, Oreo, is he so polite? He's such a distinguished gentleman. And I just looked at Plum, my rabbit. I was like, you, you are not polite. You are a little <laughs> rascal. You're a scamp. You have no respect for anything. It's the anti-Oreo. He exists yeah. as like mirror universe Oreo. Yeah, he's got a tiny he little goatee and the whole thing. <laughs> yes, <laughs> bizarre world Oreo for sure. <laughs> My now daughter. I've got an image. Now I've got an image of a rabbit with a goatee and a little dagger on a belt. Yeah, around, yeah. Like on a sash, walking around. Yeah, right. As one does. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, we're talking to a fantasy author here. That would be that would be a move. Like there could be that could be a thing. I'm still waiting for my opportunity to write like either a rabbit animal companion in a fantasy book or just like straight up Watership Down style rabbit fantasy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to just really kind of go for it. Yeah. So, okay, we'd be like enough teasing and pussyfooting here. So <laughs> Juniper and Thorn is in fact out, uh, at least this week that we're recording. Uh, our listeners have the privilege of hearing this a couple weeks on once it's already made its waves in the world and is changing and transforming our lives. Um, and so it's it's always awesome to get a new book out, but you've kind of not just put a new book out, but you've sort of expanded a world that you already had because Juniper and Thorn 
doesn't involve the same characters, but it's emerging from the same world that you built in The Wolf and Woodsman. Um, so, all right, acquaint people, because this could be their entry into yeah. into the Ava Reedverse. Um, so yeah. help us out. What's the story with Juniper and Thorn? Okay, so Juniper and Thorn is, and I've practiced my elevator pitch for a long time now, um, so it's a gothic horror retelling of Grimm's The Juniper Tree, and it's set in Victorian-era Odessa, Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And it concerns a young witch who is kind of coming of age in this very swiftly industrializing city, and her kind of way of life and magic is being outmoded by technology. And this is, the book is kind of about her efforts to get out from under the thumb of her extremely domineering, xenophobic father. So what you mean to say is that writing a book whose roots lie in domineering xenophobic patriarchy and the Ukraine doesn't feel at all overly timely or fraught right now. Yeah, it's funny. People have asked people ask me about that like understandably all the time. And I mean, I wrote this book two and a half years ago. Um, so it's just a I mean, it's just a total coincidence that it is being published now. Yeah. But a lot of people say the thing, same thing about their pandemic books that were written two years before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just things that, that are on people's minds, right? And, and they're writing the stories they want to tell. And then it just so happens that the world kind of morphs around. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how yeah. else to put it. It's like the world's listening and says, huh, I think I'll do that too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I my maternal family is from Ukraine. So it's always been like a place that's on my mind, but now like other, you know, people in the West care about it, which is always an interesting experience because they're coming to it with, you know, not necessarily a lot of context. Um, Yeah. So I think like I felt more with this book publishing, I felt more responsible for like presenting Ukraine to the world in a way that I probably wouldn't have felt you know, if this was publishing a year ago. Yeah, which is, you know, it's, I think going back to the point that you made, Patrick, and kind of tying it into what you're saying, Ava, I think the other way that I might look at it is not that the universe is sort of like responding to the text or morphing around the text in some kind of like bizarre postmodern way, but more like this might tell us something about what it really means to be a writer thinking deeply about situations and locations and their politics and their histories and their ethnographies and all those sorts of things and how much the creative process is extrapolating from reasonable premises. What would people really do? Like, even if I'm dealing with a fantastical world where we have magic that's giving way to industrialization, like we have in Juniper and Thorn, you still have to think about human nature and, and human reactions to situations and politics and whatnot. And so um, congratulations on being really good at reading humanity. Yeah, it's both a blessing and a curse, I guess. <laughs> See, I would never describe it that way, Tracy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I don't know half those words. Oh, well, I mean, that's... <laughs> We're at the, we need to develop like a sound bite like for your soundboard that you can just like hit a button where it's like, please remove your thesaurus, Tracy speaking now. <laughs> um, you know, you could, like, we have to like, or like, like the film reels that they did like in the late eighties in school or something like, boop, and you advance the, the film reel one thing and it'd be like, boop, like, please pull out your, your dictionary guide. We are now continuing the functional nerds, <laughs> but I think that's a I think that's a, that's a that's a smart take on it because you're you're not wrong. Uh, we've had and especially recently we've had a great run of authors like Ava who are just aware, mm-hmm. right? And and they're they're writing the things like I, I I'm I'm not going to try to put words in your mouth, Ava, but it, it sounds like Ukraine was on your mind and you wanted to you wanted to write a story set in Ukraine. And, yeah, and talk a little bit about the culture. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've, I've wanted to set a story in Odessa for a really, really long time because it's a really fascinating city with a really unique history. Um, but yeah, it was it was just a total coincidence <laughs> that this book is being published right now. Right, right. So, all right. You're basically coming back to a world that you set in motion with a prior book, but you've 
kind of literally move the map of the world, or at least our focus on the map of the world from one location to another, which means on the one hand, you've kind of like saved yourself some world building, good job there, uh, but also invented this like whole new sphere of world building to attend to. So I'm kind of interested in like, what's the juggling act there for you? And I want to make a, a, a novel that can kind of stand on its own. It is its own thing, but it's also very definably part of something larger than I know that I'm building. Um, is it bad if I say I just hate making up new fantasy terminology? <laughs> I think that's totally legit. I say, yeah. <laughs> like, honestly, this is a part of it. Um, no, but keep I recycling think, stuff as long as you can. Yeah, I, it's the it's the worst part of like writing for me. Honestly, it's just coming mm-hmm. up with like fantasy jargon. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, I think what kind of connects the books more so than necessarily the world that they're you know the larger world is just that I really like setting fantasy novels in periods that are in like a huge amount of kind of upheaval and in Mm -hmm. The Wolf of the Woodsman you see that this is a world where you know all these different groups are quite literally fighting for the identity of this newly emerging nation and I think that's really interesting in fantasy novels because classically fantasy novels are kind of like when you want to compliment a fantasy book you call it timeless right yeah so I think that like having fantasy that isn't timeless that doesn't kind of just default to this like unchanging middle earth type of world is really interesting to me and I think that it was that idea that kind of carried over um to Juniper I think for me too, um, thinking about the the idea of like that timelessness versus trying to trying to find a place a, a space in the um, time of your world that's in conflict. There's also a kind of intelligent efficiency measure there because I, I, I teach writing, and one of the things that I tell my students sometimes is that one of the simplest definitions of a story I can give you is it's the moment after which nothing will be the same. Mm-hmm. Um, But if you choose a world where so much is sort of transforming around people and so many things that generationally they thought they could take for granted or like the conditions of their world are in are in evolution of very or devolution of various kinds, then that's baked in like every day is the day after which nothing is the same. And so you kind of have all of these entry points so that if you're dealing with, you know, a complex cast of characters, everyone can potentially be a different way of looking at this changing world in different ways. Um, each character, you have this potential in for how to kind of look at the conflict that they're dealing with, as opposed to like, no, I have to have a main character and the main character has to be the one experiencing a disruption and facing it. And that it all sort of sits on this singular person, as opposed to us being able to think of like the whole world is engaged in this in some way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that (laughs) the Woodsman and Juniper really approach that from different angles because you have, you know, the protagonist of the Wolf and the Woodsman is very much part of the out group the you know the group that is being kind of you know violent violently oppressed and you know their way of life is becoming moribund and then you have like Marlinchen and Juniper and Thorne whose kind of existence defines the nation such as it is um and it was very interesting to write these these kinds of characters who are kind of like weird mirror images of each other (laughs) So I have I have an honest question to ask, and this um, I don't know. It seems like kind of reversing course from some of the things we talked about before. But since you're you have this pattern now that you've you know it's two books. We'll call it a pattern, although technically three. <laughs> um, so it's two books. We'll call it a pattern of of kind of looking at worlds in evolution and turmoil and how characters are responding to them and and so on. Uh, particularly as this sort of like shared world. Do you just want to like write a book where people are hugging a lot? or like naps or like is this is this tiring it's really funny actually i mean because of recent political events people have been i think more and more into the concept of like escapist fiction which is obviously completely like valid and understandable but like just for me personally i've never felt like comforted by escapist fan fiction which is mm-hmm. probably why I write the books I do and why I write like horror specifically because I think that there is yeah. something 
comforting and having like your feelings validated by media feeling like you know you're in like a constant survival mode which is you know kind of the premise of most horror media and and Mm -hmm. you know feeling like you're not alone in that I think that that is like weirdly very comforting to me and I think that that's actually why a lot of writers especially like marginalized writers have been writing horror lately and you've seen this kind of like upswing in you know very diverse horror novels you know you have Sylvia Moreno Garcia and like Stephen Graham Jones who are you know absolutely incredible and they're doing really really interesting things with the genre in terms of how they're using the genre to kind of um, like the tools of the genre to kind of, you know, explain or like analogize, you know, kind of marginalized positions in society. Yeah. yeah. It, it can be cathartic too, yeah. right? Because they're, they're basically taking something that's bothering them and they're, they're writing about it in a way that, that exposes it, which, which is always, you know, I've always said it, that's the best fiction that's the best science fiction that's the best fantasy when and in horror when it when it, it makes you as the reader question something realize yeah. something look at something from a different direction that you never looked at it from that way before yeah absolutely and i think like being a marginalized person in society and increasingly so um as politics rolls forward um it does feel like being in a horror <laughs> piece of horror media. Yeah. It, it, with respect to the fact that, you know, our episodes release on a schedule that means that we're always kind of in a time warp here. Uh, we're recording the day after the SCOTUS verdict um, re- regarding Ro- Roe v. Wade came down. And so I think um, Ava and I are thinking, are, are, we are embodying, I think, across the line of Zencaster, slightly different energy than usual mm-hmm. at this moment. I don't I don't know you, Ava, to, to say for sure, but I think... Um, there is a kind of weariness and a kind of anger right now. I think that we're, we're probably both processing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And I think, um, the ways in which fiction allow us to do that. And I think that we're, you talked about the idea of escapism and I think, you know, there's, we can kind of use the word escapism in a couple ways. One is the way that we usually think of it. Like I want to get away from the bad thing and go to something different, something that will renew me and refresh me. That sort of recovery escape consolation thing that Tolkien liked to talk about. The other way of thinking about it is escapism. Like we might read things or ingest media or, or ingest stories that reflect our experience and validate it. Like you and Patrick were talking about and that give us that sense of you know validated catharsis. But because we saw that, it also gives us escapism in the sense of it shows us there may be a way out. Yeah. Like it's like that they are that they're they're not just uh, deconstructing the experience so that we can see it reflected in fiction. It's also constructing for us different ways of dealing with things that that horrify us or things that destabilize us. Right? That I mean, yeah, fiction's not real, but at the same time think about how we started this this episode here it's kind of really fucking real at the same time um yeah yeah Yeah. no that reminds me of i think it's a neil gaiman quote where he is like fairy tales are so important not because they tell us that they're monsters but because they tell us the monsters can be defeated yeah yeah and i feel that way about you know horror media in general Mm -hmm. for sure so okay let's We've been we've been sitting like really firmly on your work, and I feel like it's a sort of high pressure place to be. So, okay, who are there things that you're turning to now, like for yourself, um, that are for you your kind of the right that kind of constructive escape, or that kind of like this is these are some of the things that I'm turning to now when the times are tough and the moments are dark. Um, I learned, I reminded myself this morning after spending an hour doom scrolling, it's not Twitter. Stop doing that. It's not Twitter. Uh, But I was sure trying to make fetch happen there. Um, (laughs) Yeah. um, I, I mean, as I've really just been dealing with Juniper's release over the past couple of weeks. So that's taken up like 99% of my time and energy. Um, and then as soon as I'm finished with this, I have to go on to revisions for my um, 2023 book. But that I'm actually really looking forward to it, even though like 
I usually hate revising because I really want to be in Just a different world. Um, yeah. and, and that it's a book, it's my YA debut and it's, it's more of a fantasy romance, um, not heavy on the horror. So I'm actually looking forward to escaping into that world very, very soon. <laughs> That's cool. How about you, Patrick? You, we, we both logged on to Zencaster this morning, and I was like, how are you doing, Patrick? And he goes, <clears throat> Long-time long <laughs> listeners, long listeners will know that I've talked about this forever. I tend to uh, plug in a video game where I can blow mm-hmm. shit up. Oh, yeah. And it goes back. I mean, this goes back to forever ago. Like, I used to, uh, I used to have nintendo and sega and i remember there was a there was like a star trek the next generation game on sega Mm -hmm. and the idea was like you were the you were the lower deck kind of crew you you were the the third shift you were in charge and and like the command crew was going to bed or something and you're in charge of the enterprise and you know just try to keep us out of trouble and i used to start the game and I would fly directly into the neutral zone and I would start fighting Romulans. I would just blow up ships. And then Captain Picard would kept <laughs> coming up and saying, saying, Hey, you're doing this, you're doing wrong. You're not this is not Starfleet. This is not how we do things. And then uh, when I graduated to like PlayStation, I had a couple games that I did that for. And then I had an Xbox at one point. And on the Xbox, I had the original Star Wars battlegrounds game or something where you could just jump into a fight and i would jump into something and just blow stuff up and now i've graduated like i now i've got like halo on on the new xbox right and halo infinite Mm -hmm. and i just i just you don't even have to do the mission you can just jump into the campaign walk around for a little bit and you'll run into yeah banished and you just start fighting them and it's just like it's just button mashing and i don't have to think about it but i just I, i i've always said i just go in and i blow shit up how many That's... times have you been court-martialed by Starfleet now? <laughs> uh, probably, probably more than the folks on Lower Decks at this point. Yeah, the game, uh, yeah the it was to be those stats. Yeah, yeah, that was that was bad back in the day. I, I, I did some, yeah. 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 <laughs> but but that that's that's how you know, that's how I've always dealt with with shit. It's like I can't control anything else, but I can I can at least go in and just blow up stupid aliens and and mm-hmm. I, I mean at one point i remember i had um on my phone one of the first iphones i had oh god what was it called it was like stick wars or cartoon wars or something like that and it was okay. little stick figure guys and they would just shoot arrows at each other and i would okay. do like shit like that like it's just something it's like to the pong of virtual yeah. you know gaming yeah stuff. and it's yeah. just i've always said it's just blow shit up so i am uh, notoriously bad at any of those sorts of like roam around and blow shit up type games because i don't know where i am in space I just get like get lost, particularly if it's like a 3D navigation sort of thing. Oh, I have no idea where um, I am. I'll be like yeah, spinning like, around in like, circles. Yeah. Yeah. If you had like an overhead thing, it would be the equivalent of like there's a rat moving through a maze and I'm like the really dumb rat who's like up against a wall and just keep trundling into it. Like, why am I not going anywhere? Oh, yes, I'm absolutely the same. My partner and I actually just finished playing It Takes Two, which is like a co-op game for Xbox. Okay. And- it was so it was so sad because I was so bad at it and like it requires like cooperation. So he would be yeah. like, you know, dutifully doing his part of like the puzzle mm-hmm. and I'd be like, I can't I can't figure it out. I can't figure out this mechanic. I don't know how to like jump. Like I don't know like yeah. it, because it, like the three D controls with the camera, I was so bad at it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I always love I always love the 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 moment when I'm playing a game and I completely forget all the controls and when I mean to shoot I'm actually jumping and my guy is just sitting there <laughs> jumping up and down and up and down and nothing's happening I'm like no no why am I dying stop yeah. stop ah I just, yeah I got my it's not supposed I'm supposed to hit the Y button no no um, <laughs> yeah I'm the worst at at games not only that have that that where am I in space and time kind of 3D navigation thing. Um, but, but like my other worst type of game is one where there, I'm one of multiple people playing on the screen at the same time. And because I always, at some point, somehow, it does not matter how physically different my character looks from other people's characters, like whatever the avatar is for the character, I'm going to get it screwed up at some point. 
there will be some moment where I think that the person I'm playing with, like that's my guy. And I think I'm doing awesome, man. And I'm like, look at me, bro. I'm tearing through everything. And they're like, you've, you've been shooting a corner for like like five minutes and I can't move to the next screen because you're still at the, I just need you to, to, to go. (laughs) See, I've always been terrible at PVP. Mm. And my, my first experience with PVP was uh, world of Warcraft. Okay. And, and I was on an, I was on an RPG server. So I'm on a role playing game server and they did have PVP. But it was usually someone who came from a PvP server because they realized if they came to the RPG server, they could slaughter us. <laughs> oh, they could just beat people up, get some credit, and run. Yeah, because we're all standing around, you know, in our in the robes that we've spent twenty hours trying to find from the correct vendor and get enough gold to get the robes, so we can stand around in the in the, in the tavern, you know, having our conversations, and then uh, and then you know slaughter us. So so I've always sucked at PvP. So I like I I had the on the PS4 I have the the Star Wars battle game I can't remember what it's called Battlefront 2 or something. Yeah, yeah. I sucked at that game. Like I sucked at the PVP part. The only thing I could do was like play a clone trooper or play a droid and and be a sniper. And like I could I was really good at hiding and it would piss people off. Like people would hunt me down. Because they would get so angry with me for being like a sniper in a tree somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I suck at PvP. I've always sucked at PvP. I remember going over to my friend's house and his kid's like seven years old at the time. And he's playing some Star Wars game. And, and, they're, and it's on Nintendo Wii, I think. Yeah. And, and and the kid's like, yeah, do a lightsaber with me. I'm like, okay, whatever. So we're doing this lightsaber thing where I've got the two paddles like this. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And he's just sitting there, Wah! he kills me. And I'm like... <laughs> Dude, you're seven. <laughs> He's got some issues to work out here, Uncle Patrick. You're just going to have to Well, and he, he played Grievous. So Grievous has like 27 right, yeah. arms and 37 lightsabers. He just... And he puts them on like frappe mode and you're just no. done. Yeah. Terrible. <laughs> terrible, terrible, terrible. So yeah, so... You know, anything like I know people who, who do weird things to, to kind of get out, like exercise and yeah. and... Go to the gym and I, like I, 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 I don't know. Like I sense a disturbance in the forest, as if perhaps, mayhaps, I am being called out. Um, <laughs> it's like they a, go like for rather, runs. They go for runs with their children. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, we are definitely. Um, I, I mean, I should clarify because again, this is a podcast, so like, there's not a lot of like visual aids for our listeners here. That like, I'm, I'm not any kind of gym rat. Like, that's you know, I don't like walk around with like a bottle of soylent all the time and like live exclusively off of questionably colored liquids, um, you know, and or whatever else. Um, but. You know, my husband and I do work out pretty regularly and we do kind of make sure that the kids get dragged out with us and whatnot, partly because it's just a good way of being together to do things. Um, But also at a certain point, like I'm 42 years old and like most of the warranties line items have expired at this point. And so I'm I'm really just kind of looking to do part by part maintenance um, is kind of what we're coming down to. Like every couple of years, you're like, probably need to do something with the filters or whatnot and just kind of trying to deal with that. Yeah. So Ava, to bring it back around to writing, do you, do you ever, <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> I, I have, I have, I have been known to meet someone in real life who bothers me. And then, you know, uh, somehow they influence a character that dies horribly in a story. Yeah. I have to confess <laughs> that. So I live in like, student housing at Stanford because my partner is a PhD student here. So I basically live in a glorified college dorm. Um, as someone in their mid twenties, it's like not, you know, the most fun thing, but we, we have during COVID in like the peak of, you know, where everyone was just staying home and never leaving. There was like a feud, like a silent feud between me and my neighbors who would just leave their garbage in the hallway, like constantly, like an entire like patio furniture set would just be like in the hallway. 
And it was like so like and I because I couldn't leave the apartment. So every time I would just like pass like down the hallway to go to like the trash chute, it would be like so enraging to me. Like and like I left notes and like they would just get ignored and it was like yeah. So in a future book, if that were ever to happen, I would definitely write my horrible neighbors. Um See that 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 shows me that we are soul siblings because I I don't live in in a, in a dorm situation but I do have the garbage neighbors. The garbage neighbors well, the garbage are across neighbors the street. Are a saga. Yeah, they are. So a there's whole never thing. an escape from the garbage neighbors. The uh, during yeah. during COVID, the the company that comes through. There's a couple companies that come through, but the neighbors across the street and I both use the same one, Republic. And they sent out a thing that basically said. You know, you, I call it a dumpster. Tracy calls it a trash can. But it's one of these big green things with the lid and the wheels. And, if it's small and, enough that you can wheel it yourself, it's not a Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and they basically sent out a letter and they said, we're only taking what you put in that. Because there's too much trash. Everybody's home. There's too much. Trash. If you want us right. to pick up more, you got to pay us more. Right. And so how this resulted, like, I'm fine. Like, I feel, I, I don't even fill that thing up half the time. Uh, but I put my trash in. The neighbors across the street, as an example, our, our trash is picked up on Thursday. Yesterday was Friday. So it was picked up on Thursday. On Friday, they put it out full again. It's already full. <laughs> it's going to sit there in the sun yeah. For a week. The lid is off because there's so much stuff piled up. It's piled up inside. And then what they started doing was they started putting stuff around it and then the trash wouldn't pick it up. Yeah. They yeah, left it. And then they started trying to get sneaky. Like they're they're like, well, we're going to put it in front. So they have to take it to get to the can. And then the guy would get out of the truck and he would move all the stuff in the front just to take the can and he would leave everything. And so it's been a trash saga. So I... I feel your pain. Yeah, I do. That, that really sounds very relatable. They, my breaking point was when they would order boxes of like HelloFresh, like the meal delivery service, but then just leave them outside their apartment for days. So it was just like rotting food in the hallway for days. Oh, like, why that's are you so just expensive all? to just be yeah, like, no, yeah. no, I'm gonna compost why, this. Like, why yeah. do you hate money so much? Like, what, <laughs> like, what is going on in there? I don't. And this is. I mean, this is. This is essentially glorified dorm housing like you're saying these yes. are theoretically not people for whom money is abundant oh yes although because we live in silicon valley a lot of the people who live here will be like one of them will be a grad student and the other will work in tech and oh all right make a lot of it so it's very strange living in this like tiny crammed housing but having a bunch of teslas in the parking lot <laughs> i remember i remember when a studio apartment in cupertino uh, with, you know, very, very small, uh, it was like three grand a month. Yeah. That's pretty much how it is here. It was like ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. It's, in, and I'm from New York and it was still shocking to me. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, I'm, I'm from New York. Like, Everything's um, fine. I could pay my, my rent to a literal rat and yeah. he could be the superintendent. And I'd be like, this is fine. This is normal. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm not from, like, some small town where, like, an apartment costs, like, $300. Like, no, I grew up in the city. Like, it's, but it was still, like, a complete job. I, I remember a friend of mine uh, graduated Clemson. He got a job in New York, and he's he was bragging. He's like, oh, man, I'm going to make, like, 400 grand a year. And I said, wow, you're rich. He's like, no, no, I have to live no. in, like, this guy's, this guy's be like, spare bedroom in New Jersey and take 12 trains yeah. to get to work. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I have a sleeping like, bag oh. in some dude's bathtub. <laughs> yeah, basically. Oh my god. <laughs> oh. And I guess, you know, in an extremely roundabout way, this is all the product of industrialization, which I guess if you're really interested <sighs> in how does a world evolve away from the magic of, I don't know, whatever, being able to afford things, or literal magic in the case of Juniper and Thorn, towards you know, all the pains and agonies of, of capitalism and industrialization, then, then we've got Juniper and Thorn. <laughs> I, I, I remember, I, I remember watching things like uh, Friends and Seinfeld and, and turning to my mom at the time going, what's rent controlled? <laughs> oh yeah. That's really funny. I, 
growing up, I mean, I watched a lot of Friends reruns and stuff, and I remember it would always make my parents so mad because they would be like, it's so unrealistic that they could afford this apartment. Like, Rachel is like a yeah. bartender. Like, and my mom was a bartender <laughs> when I was growing up. So it was like really frustrating to her. I guess they were trying to make up for it by the fact that weren't all three of them in the same place together? The girls, anyway? No. I think Phoebe, no, Phoebe did not live with them because Phoebe couldn't stand to live with Monica. Yeah, Monica and Rachel live together. And Monica's like a chef. Like, I I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But it wasn't their apartment. It was was Ross and Monica's grandmother's apartment, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Oh, so there really was a narrative reason for trying to do that? Yeah. Huh. Okay. Well, even like well, the whole joke is no one knows what Chandler's job is, but Joey is like a like a starving actor, and my dad was also in the '90s like a struggling actor in New York too. So it's, it was very like real and personal to them. <laughs> hey, my my mom was also a bartender, so I know how much bartenders make. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I think I think it's funny that you mentioned the Chandler thing because I've always had to struggle with my family because they're like, "What's your book about?" Like, what do you, what do you, yeah. and it's like, oh, it's just Chandler. It's just, just think of Chandler. It's the Chandler bang it's of just books. Chandler. Yeah. <laughs> what do you do for a living? It's like Chandler, okay? I just do stuff. That would be like the worst blurb for a book. Oh my God. This is the Chandler bang. <laughs> Could it book. be any more Chandler? <laughs> yeah, I just, I would, I would drop that thing on the shelf as if it were on fire and be like, no, I'm not buying that. I'm not even taking that out from the library. What the fuck? Wow, <laughs> anti-Chandler perspective. I don't know if you're on Instagram, but like, there's so many Instagram posts that are like, if you're like a Rachel, you know, you should read these books. Blah 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 blah. Like, it would be, I think it would be so funny if someone did like actually did that for the cast of Friends. Like, what would be the Chandler books? Okay, I will so throw I, it out. Go ahead. No, no. I was about to say, like, you, you opened the door on this, Ava, so I blame you. Uh-oh. Which member of Friends is going to read your books? <laughs> um, I mean, I think that they're all illiterate, honestly, but anyway. I mean, isn't, like, Ross, like, canonically into, like, really nerdy stuff? I feel like he would be. Yeah, I mean, he's one. a paleontologist. That's his whole yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, probably Ross. Definitely not Rachel. Yeah, I would throw it out there that if there's horror elements, Joey would read half of it and then put it in the freezer. That's true. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Now, I think I think the perfect ending to this little bit is the fact that there's there's two things going on. One, um, there is a an actual thing where the couch from Friends is on tour. And goes from city to city and they sell tickets and people can come in and and they they basically have the couch from the from the, the, the intro, coffee shop. Central Park. All yep. Central Park. Coffee yeah. shop. From Central Park and, and people can come and sit on the couch and take pictures and, and that is a legit thing. And then apparently someone has launched a line of friends cookies. Cookies based on each friend's character. So there's a Joey okay. cookie, a Ross cookie, a Rachel cookie, a Phoebe cookie, on and on and on. There are different cookies for each character and they're actually out there. But they didn't license, I guess, the the actual actors. So they basically look like little Funko Pop pictures of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. think that's so funny when it's like not officially licensed. So people yeah. have to use like oblique names for things. Yeah, it's like, like winking. Like, yeah. Like, this is <laughs> our anthropomorphic humor, ro- humor rabbit product. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the best, the best ever was Carrie Fisher talking about George Lucas licensing her image. Uh, she was at, she, he was getting honored at the AFI and uh, she came on stage and she said, you know, 40 something years ago, George Lucas uh, licensed my image so that every morning when I get up and I look in the mirror, I have to send him a couple bucks. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, I think we we're we we've been at it here for a hot minute. I think we, yes. do we have time to fit in our picks. We do. We, we can we can do here. it. We yes. can do it. Picks of the week. All right. So in the green room, as we were getting set up, Patrick was telling me that I'm really gonna like his picks. So I'm, maybe I'm, maybe it might okay, get him. Right, right. But uh, my pick is a documentary 
and I watched it on HBO Max. I saw some other folks talking about it on uh, that it might be on Hulu as well. I actually watched it a little while ago. Uh, so, but it's just poignant right now. It's called The Janes. Mm. Have you have you seen or heard of this? No, bad at TV. Please continue. Okay, so The Janes <laughs> is a documentary about a group of women from Chicago who got together in the 70s and they created an underground railroad for illegal abortions. And they basically saw a horrible, horrible, horrible situation happening. And they decided that they were going to create a a safe environment for women, especially low-income women and uh, uh, women of color who were having problems, could not get safe abortions. Uh, They even went to the point where they learned how to do them themselves so that there was no doctors involved, so they didn't have to involve anybody else. And they basically, they started with counseling because they found that like they had had some bad experiences and they knew people who had bad experiences. And there was all kinds of weird, like the mafia ran abortions at the time in Chicago. Oh, uh, so, so they kind of took it over and took it away from them. And they, they would do things like they, uh, they would pick the women up in a car and they would drive around as if they were being followed to try to break any tails. And then they would take them to the place. And, and here they would get counseling as to what was going to happen, how this was going to work. And then they would get taken to another place where they would actually have the abortion. And then they would check up on them. There was this whole network. Yeah. And instead of going by their own names, everybody was called Jane. Mm-hmm. And it was it was actually quite open. The phone numbers were shared. Everybody kind of knew about it, and everybody kind of turned a blind eye until they couldn't anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's horrible. It's poignant. Uh, I'm hoping it's not prescient, and that we're not looking yeah. at the future. Yeah. Uh, but there's already talk of this on social media. Of, of people like people are sharing maps of the United States that show where you can and where you can't and are offering up spare bedrooms and all kinds of other stuff. So uh, this is a, this is an amazing documentary about a bunch of amazing women. It's called the Janes. Again, I saw it on HBO max, but it might also be on Hulu and some other platforms. Yeah. Yeah. That is, um, that is an intense pick. Ava, yes. how about you? Uh, so, I was going to say on a lighter note, but I'm not really sure if this is lighter. Um, but bring it back around to horror. Um, I love everything horror. I'll watch any terrible horror movie like that Netflix puts out. Um, but I also love horror video games. Um, so I've been not playing, but watching a lot of Let's Plays of Outlast, which is, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's a survival horror game. It came out like quite a while ago now. But my opinion, it's like one of the best pieces of horror media out there and you know circling back to what I said about horror kind of being weirdly comforting to me um watching people play Outlast has been <laughs> strangely comforting the past week as I've been like living in this hotel room um yeah and what's the premise of Outlast like what do you what do you have to do other than so, Outlast basically it's really interesting because you know in like resident evil it's like the most famous horror video game franchise you like have a gun and can kill things and the whole point in outlast is you have no weapon and you can't fight the only thing you can do is run and like hide under beds or like in lockers and you're trapped in this asylum um so it's a take on like the asylum horror um absolutely horrifying um I could not play it. It was genuinely too horrifying um (laughs) so I've just watched other people play it but yeah it's it's very amazing extremely immersive um and the third one is supposedly coming out at the end of this year um, which i'm really excited about to your point i know a lot of people talk about resident evil i actually liked silent hill silent Mm -hmm. hill freaked me out when i first played it like i bought i bought a version that came with a cd so you got all the the mood music as well yeah (laughs) so you got the soundtrack and yeah. it was on CD, so that tells you how long ago that was. But uh, yeah, Silent Hill for me, and like the, the when the lights would like it would get really dark, and then all of a sudden something would be coming at yeah. you, and, like, doing all these weird movements as it's coming at yeah. you, and you're like, ah, 
Yeah. And the thing about Outlast is one of the mechanics is that you have like a camcorder because you're a reporter, but you only have so much battery and it's so when you're like running out of battery and everything is in night vision, like it's, it's so scary. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I, I will throw out one other thing just uh, uh, that, that was kind of fun. Uh, that Star Wars battle game that I was talking about had mm-hmm. one of the most terrifying things ever where the Ewoks are hunting oh, you and you're a stormtrooper. Yeah, the Ewok murder murder bear mode. Yeah, because oh, because okay. people forget the Ewoks were cannibals. Right. And they were badass. Cannibals, though, because you're only a cannibal if you eat your own kind. Okay, well, I mean, the carnivores, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and the question that people always ask is, uh, in order for them to have a dress for Princess Leia to wear, they must have ate somebody who had that dress. Good point. Yeah, they've got some serious <laughs> Etsy stuff going on amongst the Ewoks. It's only one or the other of those things. But yeah, yeah, that'd be... So that was, and and the the point was, it's dark, you have, you have a, you have a light, but you only have so much battery and Mm -hmm. you're running around and you're, you're, these Ewoks are hunting the stormtroopers in the dark, in tunnels and they're in the trees and they're falling on you and they're coming out. Oh my God. It was the most terrifying thing ever. And then if they got you, then you became an Ewok and then you had to hunt. Oh my God. The other stormtroopers. Yeah. Oh God. It was so scary. (laughs) Anyway, Tracy. (laughs) (laughs) So I I do not have a horror wreck or anything that will edify you as to the history of of problematic and perhaps even continuing periods in in American uh, medical legislation. Instead, um, I've got a card game. Um, And so this card game is it actually plays with a basic set of standard 52 card bicycle deck sort of thing. But Mm. the makers of this game, which is called Regicide, have designed their own special deck that while it still uses the four suits that you're familiar with um, and and jokers and all that sort of stuff, it has its own absolutely fantastic art schema and its own set of rules. So while you could theoretically play this game with a normal deck honestly, for as cheap as it is to buy the Regicide deck, why would you? Um, The whole idea behind Regicide is that the Jacks, Kings, and Queens all represent a corrupt, uh, despotic, evil nobility. And that you are part of an insurrection effort. It's a cooperative board uh, card game that you're playing with the other people in your group. Um, And your, your desire is to battle these corrupt nobles and to kill them all, hence Regicide. And the way that you do it has to do with the cards that you play. Um, and basically, you secretly reveal one after the other after shuffling them up. First, all the jacks, and then all the queens, and then all the kings. And each one of the suits has a different sort of power associated with it. Um, anything that's of clubs deals double the damage from the face mm. uh, value. Anything with spades offers a shield so that whatever you would have been hurt by um, is reduced by the face number. Uh, hearts allow you to add killed cards back to the redraw deck, basically a healing sort of thing. And diamonds allow you to redraw and refresh your hand more rapidly. And so by coordinating with your your fellow players without table talk, you're not allowed to specifically talk about what's in your hand uh, and you can't do strategic discards or anything like that. You got to play what you've got. You're trying to kill your way through the upper ranks of the deck. Um, (laughs) All of this would be a lot to keep track of because there's a ton of different numbers and ways that things kind of like synergy bonus together and whatnot. So there's actually an app. It's one of the few really good app-assisted games that I've played before. Uh, So when you buy this particular deck, it gives you a code inside of the deck that allows you to access the otherwise not free app. Uh, And the app itself really leads this really cool, smooth, fun playing game. Thing. If you know anyone who is smart enough to play most games of cards, they will be able to handle this. And if they're scared nice. of all of the like pluses and minuses and whatnot, don't worry. There's literally an app for it. So um, <laughs> we've had a lot of fun playing Regicide. That's awesome. All right. So whew, that was quite an episode here. So Ava, let's not let people forget the plot here, so to speak. They should be on the lookout for you and Juniper and Thorn uh, out now in hardcover and kindle and is you doing audiobook as well or yep there's an audiobook too fantastic so whatever your media is you'll be able to to get your juniper and thorn where should people find you find your work and all of their stuff in in the great etherverse and beyond uh so my main slash only real platform is instagram and i'm at ava s reed um and 
both Juniper and The Wolf and the Woodsman are available wherever books are sold. Fantastic. Well, thanks for being with us, Ava. Of course. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Well, time, probably past time, for a new bumper. If you like this episode, thanks. <laughs> we liked making it for you. There's lots of ways you can support us moving forward. If you did like this episode, you could give us a review at Apple or Google Podcasts on Stitcher, Spotify, etc. There's lots of places out there. Wherever you listen to this podcast would be a great spot to go. Give us a couple stars, write a little review, tell folks how great we are. It would help. You could follow us on Twitter. Our account there is at FN underscore podcast. If you do that, please help us boost the signal by retweeting our stuff. You could take a look at our Facebook page and click like on it. Eh, I don't do a lot there, but it's a necessary evil. You could back us over at patreon.com slash functional nerds and throw a couple bucks our way each month. You could tell your friends about us and turn them onto the show. Any or all of that would be awesome. And I would really appreciate it, Todd. Now that this episode is over, you could also consider checking out our friends over at Beyond the Trope. Giles and Michelle put out an episode a week, just like we do, and they talk to writers, artists, and creatives from all over the place. They have a huge back catalog of episodes and have a lot of fun doing it, which comes through in their weekly episodes. So check them out over at beyondthetrope.com. As always, thanks for listening. And don't forget to tip your server on the way out. Mr. Carpiers. You got it right. How about that? Yeah. You can call me Cannoli Joe. Oh, for God's sake. Patrick Louise. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's probably a good enough signal. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs>